Joshua chapter 9 this morning, Joshua chapter 9 in your Bibles, we're talking about the pragmatic trap, the pragmatic trap. And here in this passage of Scripture this morning, uh, Joshua and the children of Israel have uh, obviously they defeated Ai, and they're just seeing God do great things. But this morning, how do you respond to the truth of God? Do you accept God's word, do you reject it, or do you seek for a better path? You see, the life of living by sight and rejecting God is a life that will only bring greater heartache. I like what one gentleman says on this uh, idea of uh, Harper, or excuse me, on regard to pragmatism, but to be self-centered is to be self-destroyed. The preservation of self is the surest, surest path to self-destruction. And that actually came from uh, BarbaraLeeHarper.com. And there was a little uh, book review there of a book, I guess, Crowded to Christ. In our main text, there's a series of mistakes that are made today that both the Gibeonites and Joshua make. Uh, For this sermon, I'm going to be dealing specifically with um, really the Gibeonite deception. The Gibeonites are pragmatists. Uh, In our lives, uh, that idea of pragmatism, the word pragmatism uh, is an approach. Here's the definition. Google definition here, an approach that assesses the truth of meaning or theories or beliefs in terms of the success of their practical application. Let me give you some example. Not all pragmatism is wrong. Uh, My daughter, I like her to take vitamins. And so in a way to do that, companies have repackaged vitamins as gummies, flavorful syrups, and other such things to get the child to take the syrup get them to take the vitamins. That's a pragmatic way. The ends justifies the means. If you want to think about pragmatism, the ends justifies the means. So if I can accomplish what I want to, it doesn't matter how I get there. But that idea many times is inappropriate when dealing with theology, when dealing with doctrine. Uh, We're living in a day of ecumenicism where some churches or denominations come together for the sake of unity at the cost of doctrinal leniency. And what I mean by that, there are some uh, doctrinal truths with respect to the gospel that cannot be, uh, you cannot compromise on, you cannot become lenient on. Uh, when it comes to Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, uh, it's not he is a way, he is the only way. And so if you were to say he is a way, uh, again, you would be great compromise there. We cannot lay aside God's truths for the assimilation with other uh, necessarily religious groups that are willing to undermine the very doctrinal essence, uh, very doctrinal moorings, excuse me, not essence, but the moorings and the foundation of what is uh, the Word of God. We are seeing a tremendous amount of pragmatism, but pragmatism is unbiblical. And I'll, I'll explain that further. And we see that many times, in a lot of times, with respect to music. Uh, if you change the music, you draw the crowds in. But the music isn't always uh, just because there's Christian words. The, the music behind that um, can be very... Uh, I, I, let me give you an example, and I've done it before. Uh, but I used to work at Chick-fil-A. I was a manager there. And, and we had a lot of the CCM music um, that was in our restaurant. Well, within the CCM music... Um, they took out the words. They, I guess uh, they wanted to, the, the organization, Chick-fil-A is a uh, quote-unquote a Christian organization, Christian company. They don't work on Sundays. They're always closed on Sundays. And uh, anyways, with respect to this, uh, we, they, they organized the music and they got rid of the words, but they kept the music itself, you know, the, the, the background music. Well, with that, I had several customers coming to me and complaining. Uh, why did we get rid of the Christian music? The only thing that had changed was the words that had been removed. And uh, in so doing, uh, it did. It sounded much like your, your pop culture music. And uh, there ought to be a distinction here. Uh, but in the passage of Scripture today, it's a little bit lengthier passage of Scripture um, with respect to pragmatism. And uh, God has given us some very clear lines with which we ought not to cross. And there's other areas uh, where there is um, principles that God gives us. But in Joshua chapter 9, the inhabitants, there is a, a desire to weaken the stance of Israel. And in so doing, they still reap the consequences of heartache uh, because of a... Uh, unwillingness to stand for the the commandments of God. Here in Joshua chapter 9 verse 3, would you follow along with me? We're going to read the rest of the chapter through verse 27. It is a lengthier passage of scripture, uh, but again, I want you to understand all that is transpiring in this passage of scripture. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua 
had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wilily or deceitfully, and went and made as, it, as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua and to the camp at Gilgal, and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. That's indicative. Notice with me how many times they say this. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? Good question. And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and whence, and from whence come ye? So again, they ask, you know, Joshua asked a good question. They said unto him, From a very far country. Thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God, for we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them. And say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which were we filled were new, and behold, they be rent, and these are garments, and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. That is the, the great indictment. Ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. And it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came into their cities in, on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Shephira and Beeroth and Kirjath-Jerim. The children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes, but all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation, as the princes had promised them. And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, saying, We are very far from you when ye dwell among us? Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now behold, we are in thine hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us. Do. And so he did unto them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day, in the place which he should choose. This pragmatism, the objective, the end justifies the means. It doesn't matter how we get there as long as we get there. But my friend, that is not what God wants us to do. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, the surest path to freedom as it says here in this verse 4 of Proverbs 22, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. I honor God first. I go to the doctrines of God's Word. I say, what does God's Word say? That is how I am to live my life, exactly by what the Word of God says. Every day, do you realize every day you're only one decision away from destruction? One decision closer to God's blessings. Israel made one bad decision that would affect them for many, many years. And pragmatism many times produces our intended goal. I want this. But the constituent consequences are far greater than one anticipated. Pragmatism is a form of self-preservation, which acts according to one's heart and emotions rather than divine guidance. And then today I'd encourage you to evaluate your heart and mind and lifestyle to see what sort of compromises have been made. And commit to following the Lord's leading in your life. May you have a holy fear of compromising, whether purposefully or ignorantly. And there's sometimes there's things that we do, and later on we find out, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. And if we know in our heart and that God has told us not to do something and we continue to do it, obviously we are, uh, we are giving in, we're rebelling. 
And this passage of Scripture here that Israel was doing really is an act of rebellion. And I'll discuss about that further, but we must be careful of being deceived and rely upon godly truth and not emotional sentiments. We can go with our emotions, and our emotions can lead us down wrong paths. Let's go to the Lord and ask for His blessing upon this time, and we'll look at this passage further. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this day. Father, I thank You for Your great grace and mercy. And Lord, I just pray that we would be pleasing in Thy sight. Father, that is the desire of our heart. Lord, to hear someday, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Father, if we take the path of least resistance, Father, we take the path of pragmatism and compromise, Lord, then we are giving up your blessings for the immediate blessings of the here and now. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would be founded upon God's word. And Lord, as I preach your word, Lord, I I need your help. Or this is a challenging and difficult topic. Lord, our emotions are so strong and our emotions lead us to do many things, but Father, sometimes our emotions are not uh, in line with scriptural principles and truths. And so, Father, today I pray that we would be a people to say, you know what, whatever God's Word says, I want to do it. Lord, I thank You for Your goodness. I thank You for Your grace. And Lord, uh, just guide my every thought, my every word I speak. And Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, Father, they do not know where they're going to spend eternity. They don't have an assurance of salvation. Lord, I pray that they would settle that very decision. Father, I love you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Verses 3-6 through in our passage of Scripture this morning, we talk about the wily whisper. As I mentioned, to be self-centered is to be self-destroyed. And many people live by situational ethics rather than biblical principles. What we end up becoming uh, many times is reactionary rather than grounded and settled. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it gives us something uh, very telling of how we are to live our life, right? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. He's saying, don't lean unto your own emotional whims. Am I saying I'm divorcing ourselves from emotions? No, I'm not saying that. But, and lean not into thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. When we're making a decision, it ought to be, yes, I mean, God gives us, uh, there is the, uh, the peace of God that is in our life. And sometimes I can say, the peace of God, I have the peace of God about doing this. But the peace of God will never conflict with the principles or the truths of God's word. Understand that if if God's Spirit is leading you in a particular direction, and that direction that you believe God wants you to do is in direct uh, contrast with God's Word, then the leading that you have is not of God. God's Word gives us strict principles with which we are to orchestrate our lives. Now, in verses 1 and 2 of this passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 1, look with me here. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan in the hills and in the valleys and all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof. They gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So, there are a number of nations here as Israel's in the promised land, and there are a whole bunch of kings coming together saying, listen, we have a real problem with these Hebrew children. Uh, they are great in number. They defeated you know, almost the impenetrable Jericho. They defeated Ai, and they're unstoppable. And so as a, we need to make a great coalition of, of nations, of, of countries, so that we can defeat them. Well, those of Gibeon realize, listen, uh, they have God on their side, and so the only we cannot defeat them by military force because they have God Almighty against them. We can't defeat them by force, but we can defeat them by compromise. And understanding here that deception is what weakens us. It plunges, deception is what, you know, Adam and Eve. The very fact is, Satan didn't come across, you know, he came across in a very sly, deceitful fashion, just questioning God's word. Did God really say? The alcohol industry fools people into believing that using their products will produce a good time, a pleasurable time, and it may for a short time. But their wares are deceptive and enslave millions of victims. 
The alcohol industry destroys so many homes. My, even for my own family today, the alcohol, uh, the alcohol that they have consumed, uh, there's tremendous devastation in my family because of alcohol. There are children that are removed from homes. There's you know, a battery, that, all, you know, all sorts of assault that happen. There are murders. There's all sorts of things. It is an industry that they don't show your best customers. I think I remember one person telling me, uh, one time, uh, this person told me, they said, the alcohol industry doesn't show their best customers. Because if they did, they would find ruin. We understand, another thing is, is materialism. It lulls its victims, and I'm, you know, we get into this idea at Christmas time, and, I, and I'm not against it, but I'm just saying this idea of materialism, that if I have something and I buy something, it produces joy. And it does for a short period of time. You know, Christmas time, the kids open the presents or, you know, we open the presents and there's like, yay, you know, you're having so much fun. And then about a week later, you're like, oh, okay, great. You know, you've, the, kind of the, the initial hype wears off. I'm not against owning things. I'm not against, uh, you know, necessarily enjoying the company of others. But the fact is that we as Christians ought to orchestrate our lives in accordance with God's word. That is the authority for a Christian. It is also the authority upon which all the world will one day be judged. But Hebrews 11.25, Moses, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses had everything at his whim available to him there in Egypt. And he said, you know what, I'd rather do God's will and be with a whole bunch of whining, complaining people in the desert than I would to be back in Egypt. And Satan is the master deceiver, and Christians fall prey to his wiles daily in, day in and day out. And our world is a mess. They understand, when you think of this idea of the ends justifies the means, the Gibeonites know that the Israelites are not supposed to make a, an accord or a covenant or a league with any nation within the promised land. And I'll talk more of that here shortly. But uh, these men act as if they're ambassadors from a far country. They, say, they state first that we're from a far country. But when they talk to, Mo, excuse me, when they talk to Joshua, we're from a very far country country realize this and our senses and our judgment can be quickly skewed into believing a lie we as humans are not all-knowing and we're not perfect in our perception of things have you ever bought something and then later on had buyer's remorse you're like oh this thing was a piece of junk you know <laughs> i had that you're like oh and you're just like, why did I buy that? That was a dumb decision, you know? You're like, wow, it looks so good. And, and they talk about it, and then you read all the reviews. I, I remember one time for my, my Honda Odyssey that we had it one time, I bought these, uh, these chains for the tires, and, and these had great reviews. They were non-metal. They were, they were this rubber that was supposed to help dig in. And I thought, wow, these things are great. I did a tremendous amount of research. I bought them. And then over in British Columbia, as we were trying to go up a hill to a church, I put these things on only to find out they just kept spinning. And I was like, these things are a piece of junk, you know, and I had to go buy snow tires. And I realized, wow, snow tires are actually pretty good, you know, but it, it worked for me. But I was fooled. What I understood is that, you know what, my senses, I, I don't have all, I'm not all knowing. I can be fooled, and we have to have that understanding that, you know what, you and I can be fooled. Our perception of a particular incident may not be what it truly is. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He says, so here is the apostle John saying, don't let people deceive you. Now, Many Christians have bought into this idea of the materialistic dream, wildly spending money, getting themselves into great debt, exchanging the comfort of Christ and his riches for the God of temporary happiness. I'm not saying owning things or nice things is wrong, but there are things that I can begin to uh, multiply into myself and bring into myself because if I have that, then I'll have joy. But I'm, what I'm doing is I'm replacing the joy I could have in Christ with something else that I am saying, if I have this, then I will be happy. 
And this is exactly what we're seeing in our day and age. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16, Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And if you look back at Israel's history, when they got comfortable and they had all the niceties and amenities of life, they turned their backs on God. And when we get to that place sometimes of, you know what, I actually have a need and financially, uh, even in my own family, when my family was poor and, and we were more faithful to church, uh, when the paychecks weren't as good, and I mean, mom and dad, I remember them praying more, I remember them being closer together, yes, they still fought, uh, but there were things in our lives that I remember and just a closeness, but as the money increased, I saw a greater divide in mom and dad. I saw a greater divide in us. I saw a, a lessening of an importance on the things of God. In Job fifteen thirty one, let not him that is deceived trust in vanity. For vanity shall be his recompense. So what are we seeing? If all the vanity, if all my material possessions, that makes me me. That brings me satisfaction. We are in a world here in Canada and the States and other very wealthy places, but there is a tremendous mental illness and deep depression, though there is unbelievable riches and wealth. And what is it we're doing? We're reaping the recompense of our ways, the reward. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And I can believe that this world can satisfy me. But if I do not receive my satisfaction from God, then I'm going to be left with an unstable foundation. And the further down the path our world ventures in opposition to God, the greater the despair. We are seeing mental illness, health, deep depression. We're seeing tremendous things. And even amongst quote-unquote strong believers, am I saying these are directly correlated? I'm not necessarily making that implication, but I am saying that the foundation upon which you place your life is either solid or it's not. And God promises to be with us and help us and strengthen us. Does it mean, well, excuse me, Does it mean we'll never be discouraged? No. The Apostle Paul would get discouraged. Others would get discouraged. But God helped them and encouraged them. But the fact is, if I as a believer have the abiding Holy Spirit of God within me and I'm rejecting His power for the immediate temporary pleasures of the here and now, I'm denying the pleasures and the joy that God wants to bring and the peace that God wants to bring into my life. And if we are without that solid foundation of Jesus Christ as my focus, as my aim, as my hope, then we're not anchored. In Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth, henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. My friend, we need a solid foundation. And many type of hip, you know, these hip Christian churches will entice for a while. I've been a part of them. I was a part of a church. It was growing over 60% a year back when I was in engineering and it had all the bands and everything else. But as I went back after the music had subsided and I went back, you know what? I I felt so weary and I still felt uh, that emptiness. It was temporary. You see, the closer we come to Christ's return, the more false prophets are going to arise, as Proverbs 24, or excuse me, Matthew 24, 24 lets us know. And Christians are becoming unsuspecting sheep to these things that are saying, we come from a very far country. You see, pragmatism. And we place ourselves on the altar of paganism rather than standing upon the first the firm word of God. I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Again, don't get me wrong. Having nice things is not wrong. But if that is where I find my fulfillment for who I am, I receive my joy from what I have, own, or I am, or the political position I am, whatever the case, 
if I receive my fulfillment from other than Christ, then I am placing it upon a very unstable foundation. I learned that very principle even this week as my truck was stolen Monday or Tuesday morning this week. And uh, I mean, it, engine work and all this stuff had been done on it. And I was talking with the mechanic. He said, I guess <laughs> our treasures are not in this world, but my truck was stolen. And uh, seemingly they've destroyed it. We haven't found it yet. But you know what? I thought I was a little discouraged at first. And I was like, man, I want my truck back. And I had to realize, you know what, God, <laughs> my joy is you. Here in uh, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The Antichrist is going to come on the scene because Christians, and, or not Christians, but unbelievers get enamored by the things of this world and don't realize their need for Christ. Now this pandemic was very helpful in getting, causing people to abandon biblical worship for a form of uh, godliness. Uh, it also introduced a semblance of Christianity by means of many pious-sounding things. And you go to YouTube, and man, you can get anyone and everything under the sun, all sorts of doctrinal deviancy. In Luke 21a, Jesus said, and he said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Israel, I don't want you to make a league with the covenant. I don't want you to make a league with those who are in the land of Israel. Why? Because those who are in the land of Israel, excuse me, those who are in the promised land, uh, they are wicked, they're pagan. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of things. I, I don't want you to deal with them. You are to remove them from the land. You're, and God, God says, I promise this land to you. And, and the inhabitants therein know that. But we find something here on the wounded worshiper in the fact of a wary conscience, verse 7, and the men of Israel, Joshua 9, 7, and the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? The, the very good question, I mean, the rest of Israel says, how do we know you don't live among us? You know what? God gives us a conscience, and God gives us the Holy Spirit of God to guide us. John 16, 13, albeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit, and the, the verse goes on, but it, the fact is, the Spirit of God, have you ever had something and you're thinking, oh, I really want to do that, but for some reason I feel like I really shouldn't do this. I really shouldn't do this thing. I don't know why, but... And come to find out later on, you're thinking, oh my, I'm glad I didn't partake in that because it could have been a bad situation for me. You see, as a Christian, it is possible to grieve the Spirit of God. And he, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, 29-30, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. It's possible to grieve the Spirit of God. And seemingly, amongst the, the men of Israel, they said to the Hivites, How do we know you're not amongst us? Maybe the Spirit of God is telling them, listen, be wary. Their story sounds very plausible. And in doing so, when we grieve the Spirit of God, guess what happens? We vex our righteous souls. You know you ought to be faithful to God's house. You know you ought to be working for the Lord. You know you ought to be in the Word of God daily. You know you ought to be a witness for God. And you begin to say no, 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 no. And you grieve the Spirit of God. And it's the exact same thing that Lot did. It says he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. As he was there in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Abraham's nephew, vexed his righteous soul from day to day. I mean, every day he knows I'm not doing right. And the Spirit of God, and it grieves us. Have you ever, I know in my life, there was a time in my life I'm, I began to put work over, I, there was a time I was in the military and I was working a tremendous amount. I wasn't able to go to church and man, my spirit began to become grieved. And I began to become, make some foolish choices and God just began to break me and break me and break me until finally I was broken. I said, God, I don't want any more of that breaking process. It hurts too much. In that period of time, I had worked three weeks. I was working 17, 18-hour days. I didn't go to church. I stopped reading my Bible. And man, I was miserable. 
And I realized I needed to get back to the place where God wanted me. I need to get back into church. I need to get back into faithfulness in God's house. And I need to start serving God again. We find something else here as we think about the Gibeonites or the Hivites as we see here that Joshua was very casual. In verse 8, Joshua says, we, you know, they said unto Joshua, we are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, who are ye and, whence, and from whence come ye? I can trust someone at face value. But you know what? There's that Spirit of God, that still small voice that leads us and guides us. Talks about if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God to give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, it shall be given him. They ask not counsel at the mouth of God, and they would end up making a league with those who were pagan. And Joshua asked these men of their residence, and they told them a bold faced lie. What did they tell him? From a very far country. What do they want to do? They embellish it. We come from so far away. Oh, wow. You've heard of my fame? You've heard of our success? You've heard of our God? Wow. And we begin to, that pride settles in. You came to me? A deceiver likes to relish on the mysterious and the distant as Satan did with Eve. Did God really say that? God's hiding, you know, greater knowledge from you. He dangles the fruit of increased enlightenment. And these men tease with the league of power from a distant land. Joshua, we can make a league with these from a far country. Wow! I mean, we can have great power, great wealth, and great, uh, you know, we can have just, wow, and they flatter with their tongues. And they say in the latter portion of verse 9, for we have heard the fame of Him, God, and all that He did in Egypt. You know what they do? They begin to sound religious. They butter up, they flatter the people of God. And they even flatter in a religious matter. See in Psalm 5, 9, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Now a cult leader, such as like Joseph Smith, the Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses, and others, uh, they like to, they'll use lies, they'll mix truth in with lies, or at least make their complete lies sound plausible. They allure a person through the ignorance of God's Word as well as attract the spiritually weak or simple believer. The Seventh-day Adventists do that with many believers. They attract them over to them because of an ignorance uh, to God's Word. The Gibeonites repeat, repeat the truth that God spoke of the nations knowing He is God. And these men repeat such a notion, you know, in verse 9, And they said to him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord your God. You've heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. Man, he is an amazing God. He's an omnipotent God. He's a wonderful God. He's a powerful God. And we know he's the true God. Oh, wow, they must be believers and they're from a far country. Wow, we've got to make a league with them. They not only speak flattering words about God, but also about his annihilating defeat of Egypt and the Amorite kings. And deceit comes in many forms and factors. And to further distract Joshua from insisting on the whereabouts of these foreign men, these bedraggled travelers speak of the gifts they were to give to the Israelites. We wanted to give you some amazing gifts, but because of the long journey, they're all shriveled up and they're no good anymore. We're so sorry. If you just step back from the emotional sentiments that are perpetrated in this instant, in this situation, you would think, from a very far country, what country did you come from? Why don't you insist? How far did you travel here? Or how about even better? God, should we make a league with these people? It doesn't make any sense. They use... A language that's very bubbly, very flowery, very far country. It sounds good. Emotional, I mean, emotionally, you're just thinking, wow, 
In Proverbs 16.3, commit thy works in the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. There's a common mantra of you can be anything you want to be. Follow your heart. But the truth is, if I follow my heart, I would do exactly what Joshua and the Israelites would do. Deuteronomy 11.16, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. What are some different ways that you and I can be deceived? I can begin to listen to gossip. I can begin to become a part of, as Proverbs 24, 28 talks about, and deceiving with your lips and gossip, it talks about Galatians 6, 3, narcissism. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And you'll see a whole bunch of you know, social media posts, people, pictures of them before a mirror and all sorts of different things. And uh, look at me, look at me. We can be deceived by politics, government, powerful people. Isaiah 36 discusses that. We can be deceived by bad company. If you have friends that are, do not love the things of God and want nothing to do with God and are not you know, necessarily serving God in the church and other things, if I am around them a lot, it's going to affect my actions. We can be deceived in going away from the gospel, the word of God, Galatians 1.8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. God says there's one faith. A person can be theologically sound, but practically pagan and if we live for ourselves and our desires and are not convicted of being in opposition of god then we are deceived and titus 3 3 discusses that and the fact that for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish disobedient deceived serving diverse flesh and pleasures living in malice and envy hateful and hating one another here are these people they sound very good but yet, they're liars. And there's a lot of things that can be done in the name of Christianity that is an imposter only seeking to hurt the cause of Christ. And here's the fact. If, if I give in to these things that I ought not to, and I'm not going to the counsel of God for what I ought to be doing, then what I'm going to end up reaping is something of heartache, increased hardships, or trouble in my life. And see, if Satan doesn't make a frontal attack against us, then what happens? We think, oh man, Satan's coming against me. We're fighting him, we're fighting, we're fighting him. But it's the same thing that uh, Balaam's donkey, remember Balaam and the donkey and the talking donkey to him? He would end up weakening Israel by getting Israel to intermarry with the pagans. And when I begin to intermarry and begin to make yoke, and begin to uh, league my covenant myself up with those who are not of God, what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, God tells me not to, but I'm rebelling against God, and I'm saying yes to this, and in effect, then God says, you know what, because you're against me, I'm no longer for you. And I lose the power of God on my life, and then I can be easily defeated. And we, it's so easy to make covenants. And here in Exodus, turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. And I, I know I'm probably belaboring this point a little bit, but Exodus chapter 23, that's why when we, it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, God is, he says, listen, I've got a plan for your life. I've got, I have things I want you to do, but if you begin to compromise, you weaken yourself, you align yourself up with those who do not love God, and then I will remove my power and you are a sitting duck. Luke chapter, excuse me, Exodus chapter 23, verse 32. Exodus 23, 32. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. And it can become, I can be deceived by the pride of my own heart. It is a fool who believes his heart will lead him into all truth. My heart can deceive me. My emotions can deceive me. You see, Proverbs 18.2, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Joshua says, we've won in Jericho, we've won in Ai, and man, God's just on my side. I can make this decision. I don't need to go to God. I'm the leader of this. We can just move forward. If we believe the modern statement of just follow your heart, then we are going to be prey for many other lies of Satan. It's the fool who believes he is wise. 
My wisdom comes from God. And when you and I are simple or ignorant of biblical truth, we are a prime candidate for deception. Because it says in Romans 16, the latter portion of verse 18, Romans 16, the last portion of verse 18, by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And talking about those who are uh, false prophets. And if I sow in simplicity and ignorance to the ways of God's word, then you will be destroyed and found yourself enslaved by the lies of society. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's either God's ways or your ways. It was Lot who pitched his tent towards Sodom because it was a beautiful place. The beauty was merely, temp- merely a facade because what lay inside spiritually was absolute destruction. And we can be deceived by vain and empty words. Ephesians 5 tells us not to be. And we can believe that we are some great and solid believer. I could never fall to that. I will never do that sin. But you know what, my friend? I bet you David said that. I would never commit adultery. I would never kill a husband. I would never do that. But it was a simple, he just stayed home from combat where he was supposed to be. He went up to the top of his rooftop just to rest when he should have been doing, he should have been out in battle. He looked down, he saw a beautiful woman. I can look at her, it's okay. That thought began to manifest into where he actually called her to himself and a baby was born, a baby died as a consequence, a husband was killed, and David would go the rest of his life with great heartache. You and I are prone to being deceived. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Second Peter chapter 2, it lets us know that these false prophets allure through flattering, smooth-sounding words. I mean, I'll, I'll take you here. Look with me at first, uh, Second Peter chapter 2. And this is where we as believers have to be so cautious. That's why a knowledge of God's Word is not just, oh, you're supposed to have that. Oh, that's what God wants me to do. My friend, it's for your spiritual sustenance that we know God's Word continually daily i'm in studying this and learning from it that's why we have a tuesday night bible study that's why we do things you know wednesday night and why we would have sunday night and the thing is is that god's word would penetrate our thoughts and in your own daily time penetrating penetrating your thoughts and you as husbands leading your families and 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 leading and you know the around your family around the word of god in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in air, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. And what it is, if I reject truth, if I know I'm supposed to be doing something and I'm not doing it, that leads to deceit and it leads to bondage. 2 Thessalonians, that's how the Antichrist will come on. He'll deceive many. And there was a rejection. Adam and Eve would reject God's commands. And they ended up plunging themselves and humanity into sin. The contract with rebellion that was made, when Joshua and the men of Israel followed their senses, they followed their heart rather than the God, they made a league with those whom God wanted destroyed. In essence, and in truth, they made a compact, a league with rebels. And God told them, don't do this. If someone does not want to enter through a proper way with God, then they are in rebellion of God. John 10.1, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that entereth not by the door and the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. God says there's one way. And there's a rallying cry by many for this unity, but this unity that comes at an expensive compromise of doctrine is a compromise with those who are rebels against God and teach a false gospel. A New Testament biblical church is to be pure. Its members to subscribe to the doctrine of the church or there will be no peace. Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's a unity around God's Word. 
God, as I've spoken recently, God has given to the pastor to watch the flock and to feed the flock, and Jesus Christ is the head. Insights there, but a pastor, just as Joshua, made a horrible, horrible decision. Can a pastor make a bad decision? Absolutely. And these Gibeonites, in verse 6, verse 7, and verse 11, what was their aim? Make a league with us. You see, in the deceit of a person, if we sit back and I go to God for counsel, we'll find out the evil intent. It'll be revealed. The problem is if I trust my senses, I won't be able to discern the trap. In 2 Timothy 2.26, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. In 2 Timothy 2.26, talking about how to rescue someone out of an ensnared, uh, how to rescue them out of bondage. And the fatal mistake that Israel made in the pragmatism. Verse 14, they did not ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. James 1.5 lets us know that that counsel, that wisdom from God is freely available. Or how about in all their ways acknowledge Him? Joshua made one bad decision that cost Joshua the peace amongst Israel. You think it's just a little bit. I can handle this. I'm okay with this. My friend, you're one decision away from disaster. And what ensues in verses 15 through 27 is Israel's weeping, increased hardship, and down the road, the Gibeonites would end up marrying, the Hivites there would marry with Israel and create compromise. You want to know something that's also interesting if you think about this passage of Scripture? Remember Rahab there in Jericho? She was a, you know, she was a woman of ill repute in regards to society, most likely a prostitute. And she just, because it calls her Rahab the harlot. And, but what did she do? She put her genuine faith in God. She was spared in all of her family. What happened when Jonah went to Nineveh? What did the Ninevites do? They repented in sackcloth and ashes. They took the knowledge of God and they repented. What did the Gibeonites do? They said, we know of the power of God to get you out of Egypt. We know of God's power to get you away from the Amalekites. So what should they have done? They had a knowledge of God's power. They should have repented and confessed their sins. God, we are a wicked people. Help us. Why would they act in deceit? Why would they try to deceive the Israelites? Because they wanted to maintain their sinful ways. And we as believers act in many ways. And I'm I'm talking to myself. There's things that we do in our life. I can have this and still serve God. And in our hearts, I know I should not be doing this, but I'm to fully give my heart to God. The knowledge of God's power to these Gibeonites was only a tool to manipulate the circumstances to fit their narrative. They didn't care about compromising because it meant that they could continue in their way, sinful ways. They could live for their lusts. They could live for the here and now. They could live for the pleasures of this world. The Gibeonites really display a heart of a rebel who's willing to capitulate to maintain their ways. So from Joshua and Israel's perspective, they were cavalier and cocky in their decision-making because of the successes the Lord had given them. And you know what Satan uses? He uses our pride against us to compromise. And as I draw this to a close and conclusion, whenever we compromise in one area, it gives the enemies of the Lord a glimpse into the weakness of our person and the weakness of God to protect. And when we begin to weaken our person, Satan can put other compromises in our life. And through those compromises, we can begin to lose the power of God And then we get to a place of despair and saying, God, you abandoned me. And God says, no, you've compromised. Israel wept because they realized they had sinned against God and made a league with a nation that they ought not to have. They acted on their emotions. Compromises with those of a different faith will always occur as a result of living by sight and not by faith. Friend, we cannot afford to not consult the Lord before acting. 
I need to go to Him in everything. Let Him be my guiding influence. A failure to consult with the Lord and be led by His sweet hand will yoke you up with those who are rebels. The Gibeonites did not look like rebels. They looked like simply poor, disheveled, hurt people. But in the end, it was a trap. It was a Trojan horse that would create much heartache. I need to go to God for everything. You see, there are always holes in the deception and had Israel and the people been willing to slow down, contemplate, say, we'll get back to you. Let us go to the Lord and pray about it. And deal with it in a logical fashion. They would have realized, listen, God would say, don't make a league with these people. And in the end, down the road, as these Gibeonites and Hivites, they would intermarry with the Jewish people and begin to draw their hearts away from the things of God. They would have saved their children and grandchildren from tremendous heartache. And they'd just been willing to make a little delay and say, God, we want your direction. Tonight, I'm going to look further at the consequences of compromise and going through a number of passages of Scripture, more of a Bible study this evening as we look at that. But as we think about this truth of the trap, the pragmatic trap, my friend, I have to go to God for His counsel. Because if I don't, you will get some unintended consequences that will hurt you greatly and potentially for years to come. I'm not talking about being rude or mean, but I am saying we as believers need to live our lives by faith. It's God that is to be our focus. It's God to be our lead. If I just live by emotions, then I will not reap the blessings that God wants to give. Come to the time of invitation with all heads bowed and eyes closed. I'll have the Miss Pat come forward for the piano. As you think upon these truths this morning, I really want to challenge you. In your life, what sort of compromises are you making in your life that may be, uh, you know, against what God wants you to do? There are some things, you know, we compromise, as I talked about, like the vitamins for your kids, and there's other little things that you may make uh, as a compromise, and the ends justifies the means in those, and it's not wrong. But pragmatism in a way that compromises God's purity of His Word and the doctrine uh, for the sake of of some goal that I want is never right. And so my friend, what are you willing to compromise for God? There are ways of compromising your life. With all his bowed and eyes closed as the music plays, just encourage you to do business with the Lord as God has led in your heart this morning. We have a holy God, a pure God, a loving God. He's given us his word that we can go to and receive wisdom and guidance and direction for the day. And when we compromise, we lose out on the sweet blessings, the sweet presence of God, because we do it our own way. Friend, today, when maybe we make a commitment to say, God, as you lead me, I will follow. Lord, I want to seek your counsel ways that I lead my life. Maybe this morning you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've been trusting in something else, maybe religion, maybe some act from the past, but you've never just simply put your faith in Jesus alone. And my friend, this morning, would you call out to Him, ask Him to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior, trusting only in the shed blood of Jesus. As this song draws to a close at the end of the chorus, friend, may we be true to Christ.